time a church gets excited about where it's going, you can be sure that Satan is going to try to interrupt the process. He's going to try to worm his way inside, create division, create conflict, get us off target so that we cannot be the people of God we want to be in this community. I hope you have your Bibles. Turn over to Romans chapter 14 because in Romans 14, Paul is dealing with that exact problem in the church there at Rome. Paul has a plan. That plan is to go to Jerusalem to bring gifts to the poor saints there, a blessing to that community way back then. Then he's going to leave Jerusalem, go to Rome, and use Rome as a launching part, uh, place to go out into Spain in order to preach the gospel. But the problem is Satan is trying to worm his way into the church there at Rome. He's trying to cause division, and so Paul is addressing it. We're in our last section of this particular book, and the focus all the way around has been this central focus, one of unity. Paul says as long as God's people are united, God's people can accomplish the impossible. And so he's trying to bring this church made up of Jews and Gentiles together to do just that. Last week we looked at Romans 12 and 13 of where Paul said, for a church to be the people of God... They have to have a common foundation of love and unity. Two things that Jesus preached about the last night before his betrayal that he says when the church loves like it's supposed to love and is united as the Godhead is united, the world will rise up and take notice. And so in chapters 12 and 13, Paul said, listen, there are things that you can do and he begins to list them. He says, your love must be sincere and you've got to practice hospitality and you've got to be humble and you've got to, as much as lies within you, live at peace with all people. Now when we get to chapters 14 and 15, it's where the rubber meets the road. Paul says, now let me talk about the problem there in that church. I'm going to get down to the nitty gritty now. And of course when we look at it, we kind of get shocked but it's no different than what churches today struggle with. Listen, every church has its struggle because Satan is trying to disrupt us. And so for us to think we're not going to have problems, I mean, it's simply to stick our heads in the sand. And so Paul now is going to deal with this. How do you have unity in the midst of such diversity? In that case, Jew and Gentile. In our case, oh, wow. You look around this room and look at the diversity. I mean, people from all over the place. Rich, poor, educated, less educated, black, white. I mean, so many differences that we have as the people of God. And yet, here's God calling us to come together to accomplish His purposes. Now, here's one of the things you've got to understand if you're going to be able to deal with problems that Satan's going to throw our way. You ever been to a pond, throw a little rock out in the middle of the pond and watch the ripples as they go out from where the rock goes in? And if you ever have watched that, you'll notice that the ripples toward the middle are always higher than the ripples on the edges. Now the reason I use this illustration is because there's a principle in Scripture that sometimes we don't get. And it's a principle that simply states, not 
all biblical teaching is on the same level. Now, some of us were raised, I was, I don't think it was intentional, but I was raised to believe that doctrine is doctrine. Black and white, you don't separate. There's no grays in between. I mean, it's either right or it's wrong, and you better be on the right side of it. But one of the things, if you look in Scripture, is that you notice that even Jesus said to the Pharisees, listen, your problem is that you focus on the minor things while neglecting the major things. Look at that. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You see, all you got to do is turn back to the Old Testament, and it doesn't take you but a second to realize that some commandments are more important than others. The commandment to not take the name of our God in vain is huge. The commandment not to cook a baby goat in its mother's milk is less important. Hope none of y'all violated that over Thanksgiving. You know, Some of y'all going, that's in the Old Testament? That's in the Old Testament. That was a commandment in the Old Testament. And let's just face it, none of us have divided a church over can you cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. You know, but Israel was told not to do that. 2 John chapter 1. John is dealing with a false doctrine that's creeped up in the church. And it's one that affects the very core of Christianity. As Christianity went out into the world, it ran into a philosophy called Platonic dualism. Plato, the ancient philosopher, had said that there are two realms of the world. There's the spiritual realm, there's the physical realm. The physical realm is imperfect. This is imperfect. A book is imperfect. Your body is imperfect. But up in the heavens is a perfect version of it. But it's spiritual in nature. When Christianity ran into Platonic dualism, those who believed in that philosophy had a problem with Jesus. Jesus had a physical body. But physical bodies are imperfect. But you claim Jesus is perfect. You can't have both. And so notice what some of the early believers did. They changed the doctrine of Christianity instead of changing their philosophy. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as having come in the flesh. They were known as docetics. We know who these people were. John called them deceivers and antichrist. And he says, listen, you can't stand that for that for a second. I had a preacher friend not long ago. It's been three or four years ago, and I've shared the story once, I think, with you. But I had a preacher friend come to me one day, and he says, Les, I've got a couple. They've been visiting at church. They want to be baptized. The only problem is they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They think he's an ordinary person. An ordinary person who's a good person. An ordinary person who started Christianity, but he's not deity. And they want to be baptized. He said, what do you do? And I said, well, I can't tell you what to do, but I can't baptize someone who doesn't accept the core biblical principle that Jesus is the Son of God. I, I can't allow someone to violate that basic doctrinal commandment. So there are some doctrines that are so much a part of the core, you cannot compromise for one second. But there are other doctrines that are not as clear as those. And so here in 14, he begins by saying, listen, as you move out in those ripples to the outer edges of it, 
We've got to be careful about the way we treat one another based on our opinions. Notice what he says. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. In other words, he says, here's a new believer. They're, they're now part of the church. And they don't understand Christianity. They don't understand the language. They don't understand all the doctrines. They don't even know the books of the New Testament. He says, the last thing you need to do is give them problems because of their lack of maturity in their faith. I love the way the message puts it. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. They may have strong opinions, but they may be weak in faith. He says, listen, you be patient with these folks. And we've all seen them. You know, if you grew up in churches of Christ, you know that the last thing in the world you call your preacher is a pastor. That's just not a term that I use to describe myself. People say, what, what are you? I'm a minister, I'm an evangelist, I'm a preacher, you know. But, but pastor is simply a shepherd, and in churches of Christ, that's a different function in the church. Well, of course, out in the, in the evangelical world, the preacher is the pastor. And so oftentimes, people will say to me, hey, pastor, the last thing I'm going to do is give someone a lecture of the meaning of the word pastor. I'm not going to do that. You know, if somebody says, hey, pastor, I go, hey, how you doing? You know, I just go on with it. Why? Because it's not something you need to, you know, deal with at that moment in time. Notice their problems. Here's the first one. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. That's me in June. I eat everything. June eats almost only vegetables, which means her faith is weak. Well, no, it's not. If you're a vegetarian, just nix that last part, okay? But notice what he says here. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt, that which I just did, must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted both of them. What is he dealing here? He's dealing with clean, unclean foods. He's dealing with a problem they had in the first century that we don't have. You see, we go down to Kroger, and the last thing we do at Kroger is call the butcher out and say, by the way, do you know what temple or, or what God this meat was sacrificed to before they brought it to Kroger? We don't ask that question. First century Christians often did. You see, the local meat markets there in Rome mostly, mostly got their meat from the local temples to Zeus or to the emperor or to Mercury, to all the temples that were there. And that caused a lot of new Christians' problems because they had, came, they had come out of those temples. And, and they believed that to eat the meat was an act of worship to that particular God. So could they really sit down at home and eat meat that had been offered to one of these pagan gods? Now we look at it and it goes, wow, really? Yes, that's what they're struggling with. And of course, kosher food was a problem for the Jews. Kosher simply means clean. And of course, here's Jews who wouldn't eat certain food. So between the Gentiles and their meat offered to idols and the Jews who wouldn't eat things like pork or catfish, you had all kinds of dietary issues going on in the church. And so Paul steps in and he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? 
I love the word that's used there. If you look at the uh, Holman translation, it translates it more accurately. Who are you to criticize another's household slave? See, a household slave was a slave that the master trusted so much, he brought him into the house, him or her. I mean, they were so, you know, a part of the family that they literally lived in the house with the master. And it's the picture that Paul's painting of us. We are these household slaves that God loves us so much that he's brought us into his family. And of course, we're being adopted into that family. And he says, who are we as fellow slaves or servants? Who are we to criticize our master's servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand. Notice, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I mean, it's not up for you and me to fix every little problem all of us have. I mean, God is the one who's in charge of that. And Jesus is going to take care of it. Another problem. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Again, you have here your Jewish holy days, primarily, even though you could have had some pagan days in here as well, even though I'm pretty sure they had abandoned those. But these Jewish holy days, Sabbath day, Yom Kippur, the various festival days, a lot of the Jewish believers were still practicing this. And you can imagine a Jewish brother over here, he's living next door to a Gentile brother, and on Saturday, what's your Jewish brother doing? He's resting. It's the Sabbath day. What's your Gentile brother doing? He's mowing the yard. It's Saturday. And of course, they're looking at each other going, really? And Paul says, listen guys, allow each one to treat the day they want to treat it. Right now, we're in this season. I mean, we're in the middle of Christmas. As Stan said, you know, it's time to start thinking about Christmas presents. The whole world over the next few weeks is going to be focused in on someone named Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know when he was born. But there are a lot of people who are going to be celebrating December 25th as his birthday. What do you do in that? And what you do in it is what Paul says. Whoever regards one day as special does, does so to the Lord. I mean, if I want to celebrate December 25th as Jesus' birthday, I, you know, I know we don't know when it was. 103, excuse me, 365 you know, odds, chance that that could have been right. You know, It's like I tell everyone, the chance of me being born on February the 13th was 1 in 365. But it happened. You know, and the same is true of you. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. He says, are you focused on Jesus? That's the question. I taught this one Sunday many, many years ago in a Sunday school class. And as soon as class was over, because I basically said, listen, if you want to celebrate Christmas as Christ's birthday, do it. Just don't, don't look down on someone who doesn't do it. And the person who doesn't do it, don't look down on someone who does. And as soon as class was over, an elder walked up to me and said, don't you ever teach that again. And I looked at him. And I said, you don't want me to teach what the text says. And he says, no. What Paul says right there in the Bible, you don't want me to teach that. And all at once he paused. And he looked at me and he said, boy, that didn't sound right, did it? And I said, no. It's there in the text. 
And he says, forget I ever said that. You see, the brother was just responding to the traditions he had been raised in. A lot of us were raised in those traditions. I mean, how many of y'all were raised that the only time you sang Christmas songs were in the middle of July? That's the way my church was. We could sing joy to the world in August. You just better not do it in December. I mean, that was just the way the church was. And again, it's because we didn't spend as much time realizing that there are some things that are not that easy to work through. Paul goes on and he says, listen, y'all. None of us lives to ourselves. None of us dies to ourselves. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Y'all, that's what matters. All of these peripheral issues that we so often get hung up on. And boy, I could go back and just give you a list of them just during my lifetime. I mean, y'all don't realize this, but when, when Hendersonville Church of Christ was marching down Gallatin Road to come to a brand new building that had a gymnasium right back down here, down in Mississippi where I was raised, if you had a gymnasium, whoo, you were in trouble. I mean, how dare you build a building that you could have fellowship and house the homeless and, and occasionally play basketball in? I mean, it was a, a huge issue. And, of course, depending on where you were, you're thinking, wow, really? Yes. Just like eating, drinking, holy days. You then, why do you judge? That's one of the things that's so important. Paul says, listen, Jesus is the judge. And we're all going to appear before the Lord, Isaiah 45, 23. And so we'll give account for each other, not for other people. Listen, I love Brian Shepherd. Glad I'm not going to have to give an account for him. Right, Brian? And I think Brian loves me, but I know he's glad he doesn't have to give an account for me. You know, we give an account for ourselves. And that's what Paul, so therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. But then he pauses. About the time you think, so I can do anything I want to do. Whoa, hold on. He says, instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. You see, you've got to realize that what you do, even if you have the freedom to do it, doesn't mean you necessarily ought to do it. Because sometimes there are weak brothers. And it's these weak brothers that have issues of conscience that you have to struggle with. Notice, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord, that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul says, listen, I got this directly from Jesus himself. There is no such thing as unclean food anymore. Now, I'm not sure I agree with Paul. I would put boiled okra right over there in unclean food. If you've ever tried it, well, first of all, you don't eat boiled okra. You just put it on your tongue and it disappears. But anyway, that happened to me one time, and I said to the Lord, I'll never do that again. Some of y'all have had raw oysters. You know what I'm talking about. Same thing. And so I'm convinced, being fully persuaded, that nothing is unclean in itself. Jesus had himself said that in Mark 7, 19. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. He says, listen, the problem is not that simple. Even though you have very clear teaching, there are people who have been raised for generations believing certain things, and you've got to give them time to work through it in their own mind. And so if your brother or sister is distressed, seriously offended, injured, other translations say, because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. He comes back to that unity and love, and he says, listen, 
you've got to ask yourself, am I, by doing this, going to drive my brother or sister back into the world? And that's the whole point. A new commandment I give you, your love like I love, which was to the point I'm willing to give myself for you. And so he says, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Freedom doesn't give you just freedom to do it anytime and, and, and every time. You've got to sometime ask a question. Is this going to harm someone in the body of Christ? If it does, you've got to step back and you've got to rethink it. Paul says, don't let what you do that's good be spoken of as evil. He says, why? Because the kingdom of God is not all of these eating and drinking and holy days. It's righteousness and peace and joy. In other words, it's the core issues. It's not these peripheral issues. So therefore, let us make every effort to lead to what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. He says all food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. That is to abandon Christ. Now, let me add a caveat here. My, my dear friend and Rodney, I'm sure knew him well, Jack Lewis used to say this, there's a big difference between stumbling and grumbling. In other words, he didn't say if your brother grumbles, don't do it. I've seen brothers and sisters grumble about just about everything. I mean, any change you make, somebody's going to... I mean, y'all remember when we switched the Lord's Supper from after the sermon to before the sermon? I mean, you would have thought we blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I mean, there were people like, you can't do that. You know, how dare you change the order of the services? Again, peripheral issues that Paul says, listen... You've got to have enough wisdom to know, is this person losing their soul? Or are they just getting mad and going somewhere else? Now, in Paul's day, that wasn't much of an option. You got mad, you didn't have a church down the road you could go to. Let's face it, I pass a half a dozen churches driving to Hendersonville every Sunday. You probably do, too. You know, I mean, so we've got to have wisdom in the way we deal with this. And then here's, the y'all, the primary principle. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Let it be your own opinion. You know, I believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I don't have a clue how the Spirit indwells us. I've had people just rip me apart because, oh, you believe the Holy Spirit literally indwells you. I don't know what you mean by literally. I have literally gotten up and said in sermons, I believe the Holy Spirit lives in us. I don't know how the Holy Spirit lives in us. I just believe he lives in us. And then I've had people say, so you believe he literally lives in you. Did I say the word literally? It's a mystery. And it's a mystery that I don't understand. And if God's given you enough wisdom to understand it, God bless you, keep it to yourself. Okay? I mean, because I, I may have an opinion on it, but listen, I don't understand. I, I, I believe what God says. I just don't understand the how. Cultivate your own relationships with God, the message said, but don't impose it on others. But he says, by the way, if your conscience is there, don't violate it. Because anyone, anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. I love, again, the way the message translates this, if the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. 
Stay consistent within yourself. I'm going to run through a couple of these. This last issue, he simply says, listen, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Let's work with people. And by the way, notice that, we who are strong. You bear with the weak. You notice you please them, not yourselves. And of course, I love the way Paul puts this. We who are strong. Are you strong? Would you admit you're strong? Or do you want to have your way and admit you're weak? Don't, don't you love the way you use the psychology here? We who are strong, are you strong? I, well, I don't know. Because if I'm strong, I don't necessarily get my way, do I? No. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good. Christ didn't please himself. Y'all, he took the insults that should have belonged to us. They fell on him. He died for us. Come on. You know, let's get serious about this. And he says, all we want to strive for is one mind and one voice so that we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says at the end, accept one another. And if you want to know how, just as Christ accepted you. And let me tell you how he accepted me. He accepted me as a sinner. A sinner who had messed up. A sinner who had no recourse but to say, God, I'm guilty. Would you forgive me? And I came in faith, was buried with him in baptism, and he forgave. And he'll forgive you as well, if that's what you need. Otherwise, let's go forward this year. Let's go forward in 2022. Let's not let Satan get in here and cause problems, and let's do it all to the glory of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you need anything from us, please come right now as we stand and sing.